Welcome to the floor, sci-fi and fantasy lore. We are still in the world of The Witcher. We're going to be covering episode 7. And the big questions we're going to address is, who is Falca? We're going to go into her history, the events of Falca's uprising, and her relationship to Cirilla, and maybe some of the, net, the changes Netflix might be bringing based on uh, Falca's appearance to Ciri in the desert. We're going to talk about the lore of unicorns. What exactly do the witchers know about these creatures? What is some of their history with the elves and humans? And uh, the way the unicorn chooses to interact with Cirilla. Why does it disappear? And finally, we will cover the moment when the elves lost the track of the elder blood. Because that happens during Falka's lifetime, which is 150 years before Cirilla is born. So we're going to cover all that along with the summary of the important events that take place in this episode. And why Dryads let Yaskir in after he plays his song. Why is that so important to them? All that in the episode. Roll the intro. Do you remember the first story that was so spellbinding that it drove you to break the rules and stay up all night? To keep reading, keep listening, keep playing, so good you forgot your life and lived there? So good that the moment it ended you asked yourself, what next? Welcome to the floor. Our goal is to take you back, take you deeper, to explore and understand more, and relive that childlike wonder. Join us as we dive deep into humanity's greatest stories, no matter how they are told, through books, movies, television, even games. One of us does an in-depth research on our topic. One of us is familiar with the topic. And one of us knows nothing. So the right questions will always be asked and will be addressed for anyone coming into the topic, regardless of how much you know. Enjoy another world another adventure, another spellbinding story. Join us on the floor. So I'm going to go over my notes real quick, Eli, to just get you ready for episode seven. All right, so what we'll be covering, 12 main points here. 12 main points. Yep, number one, crossover. Number two, Geralt being Geralt. Number three, Siri rolls high on intimidating the landscape. Number four, every girl's dream. Number five, a loving mother goes a long way. Number six, this is not Dune. Number seven, Nightmare Granny. Number eight, New Friend. Number nine, Siri goes Witcher mode. Number 10, Siri becomes a cleric. Number 11, Siri gets fired up. Number 12, Bard cries his way into a fortress. All right, so that just sounds like nonsense, but we're going to get into it. So Siri wakes up, uh, so she she has gone into a portal, if you remember, at the end of episode six. Yeah, she falls out of a portal, and the first scene of episode eight, she falls into a landscape that looks very reminiscent of this place called Arrakis. You know, Dune and all. Yeah, so it's just this huge, endless desert. Yaskier goes into the uh, aftermath of Eretuza, looking for his friends, and he finds Radovid. And then Geralt, after he is just beaten to a pulp, his leg is broken, is taken to Brokilon to heal. So we're going to start in Brokilon. Because if you remember the Dryads from season one, they are different now. They, uh, they've they had added some branches growing out of their 
hair and some horns on their heads. They look a lot more like Dryads. I definitely agree with the, the change in their appearance, but it is kind of odd to change it mid-series. Right. The Dryads before, they almost looked like they had runes on their heads. It's uh, I definitely think it gives them a more of a Dryad look, so I, I did like the change, but it was odd to, to see it happen. In the previous episode, when he, Geralt is trying to get Ciri to leave him and go and escape on her own, he says something to her. He says, never lost always found this is essentially what convinces her to leave and the reason is is that earlier in this season yennefer gave a little coin to siri and she told her a spell in the elder speech the translation of that spell is that phrase never lost always found and so siri knew that if she got away she could use the magic in the coin to tell Geralt and Yennefer where she was, and that's why she was okay with leaving. She's got a tracker in her pocket. Yeah, she's got a little tracker in her pocket. So we see her in this huge, empty desert, and she pulls out the coin, and she starts to repeat that phrase in Elder Speak. Never lost, always found. But it doesn't work. So we've talked about uh, source magic, (laughs) right? Like they have to pull it from a source... And there is nothing for her to pull magic from here. And so the spell doesn't work. Now this, I guess, conflicts with how Netflix has kind of changed magic. But they kind of follow their rules sometimes and sometimes don't. But within the books, this is the reason Cyrillic cannot use this spell in the desert. There's no source. There's nothing out here. There's no water, nothing. Okay. So in this magic desert, so it's a physical desert and it's a magical desert. She can't use any of her magic at all. And uh, so she starts wandering the desert, trying to use what little she knows on how to navigate it. Um, But she can't read constellations. Ah. And eventually she realizes she's been going in circles. Then, after a while, it appears that she finds a pool of water. And when she touches it, it is this strange goo, not water. Yeah, see, so this is point number four. Every girl's dream. Turns out to be some kind of giant sandworm monster. So this is a Netflix creature, but I definitely like it. Like, the trick of water in the desert seems like a really good one. Because from a distance, this weird goo it has looks like water. And, you know, any living creature would rush towards it. And it's just a trap. So I thought that was a really good addition. So only reason she gets saved is because she hears a unicorn. Yell at her, or neigh at her, as it were. That's why it's every girl's dream, because every girl wants to be saved by a unicorn from a desert crab monster thing. Oh, okay. (laughs) All right, so let's talk about unicorns in the universe of The Witcher. So unicorns are hyper-intelligent, multi-dimensional traveling creatures. Oh, wow. Yes, they actually communicate via telepathy usually. So so instead of talking like humans and elves, they just mentally connect to you so that they can talk to you if they want to. Um, okay. They, can, they change colors as they age. Now, unicorns actually have a very high distrust of all elves and humans and whatnot. And the reason for this is there was a group of elves known as the ANL that used magic to capture unicorns 
and force them to open gates between dimensions and spheres. Oh, wow. So these are not the elves that we have encountered on the continent. The A and L, yeah, are the ones who trapped and enslaved them. But because of the A and L, the unicorns distrust elves and humans and pretty much anyone using magic just because they were enslaved for so long by these people. Now, real quick, when you say the unicorns change color, like, do they go through the phases of the rainbow? It, you know, it never specifies. It's just something that's identified about them that they can, that, you know, they can change color and aging is one of the things. Part of it. Okay. Part of it, yeah. All right, sounds good. I just had to ask. And as as Siri is traveling through the desert, sometimes she travels with the unicorn and sometimes it just disappears on her. Even its footsteps disappear. And again, that is because it is actually traveling to other dimensions. It's a unicorn. It doesn't have to stay here. And are uh, dimensions and spheres different things? We've covered this before. So one of the things about the Witcher is that they never put out things as fact. They put them out as things as is known by the elves and humans of the world, right? Right. So some people think that spheres are like uh, other planets surrounding. Some people think they are like other dimensions. And some people might be using those words interchangeably. But again, we don't know for certain. Gotcha. Yeah, so it kind of blinks in and out of the desert whenever it wants to. And then eventually... Siri eats a lizard and it makes her sick and that's when she starts hallucinating and uh, her grandmother comes and sees her along with some other people. Well, it's her mom first. So, yes. No, it's her grandmother. Is it her mom? No, Pavetta doesn't show up till later. It's Calanthe first, right? Well, it's her mom because she's like, why'd you leave me? Your mom doesn't say anything first. Oh, I thought it was Calanthe first. So anyway, yeah. She, she has visions of a multitude of people. And with, so, like I said, we see Calanthe, we see, see Pavetta, and then we see Falka. Okay, so Falka has been brought up now and again a few times during The Witcher. And at this point, I think we want to really dive in and talk about Falka and Falka's rebellion. Okay, yeah, I don't recognize Falka. So uh, there is a moment where Strigobor, like, shows that he actually doesn't have any hands. They're illusions because he lost those in putting down Falka's rebellion. Oh. First, to get kind of a timeline here, uh, the story of the Witcher takes place in the mid-1200s. Okay, so, and uh, it spans about 20 years, and Cirilla is born in 1252. So about 1252 to about 1272, that's the span we're really covering with uh, Cirilla's story, right? We do know that Yennefer's goes back before, yeah. So Falka's Rebellion takes place over 150 years before this. Oh, okay. And she was the daughter of the king of Verdania, but her father then fell in love with a woman named Sero and divorced Falka's mother and sent them both away. So Falka wanted to reclaim the throne of a, of Redania. Now, Falka's mother was at least part elf because Falka is also part elf. Yeah. I, I mentioned the king of Redania's second wife by name because she plays a really important lo- sto- uh, role in series storyline. But for, for right now, I'm going to focus on Falka. Okay? So 25 years after Falka and her mother are sent away and, the, and exiled, 
Falka starts a rebellion, right? She starts to gather up uh, the the half-elves and stuff that are being mistreated and starts, you know, anyone who has been slighted by the crown who is unhappy in Redania right now. And she, you know, she, she you know, tells them the story of her lineage. Most of the people remember this. They know that she does have a claim to the throne and that if they can over, over essentially overrun the royal guard, put her on the throne, then she has her campaign promises, so to speak, right? I'm going to do these things for you. Okay. This rebellion rises up. They fight. The northern kingdoms come together, and they may, uh, and they get the support of the Brotherhood. So they have a bunch of mages. They come down. They capture Falka, and they burn her. And like I said, this is where Stregobor loses his hands in the fighting of Falka and her rebels. Okay, so now let's go to Falka's stepmother, or rather, I would say the woman who replaced Falka's mother, Sero, because this is where this this is a pivotal moment. This like I've talked about how nobody knew Cirilla was this, uh, you know, superpower person that the elves right. have been making for thousands of years, right? Sero, Queen of Redania, is the reason we lose track of that bloodline. Okay, okay. Sero lives at the same time as Lara Durin, and Lara Durin is the last person the elves know had the elder blood. So okay. oftentimes you hear the story of the human and that fell in love with the elf, right? And the, the elven warrior, all of that. That's all about Lara Durin. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Should so, we take a break here? Yes. Let's take a break here. We'll come back. We'll talk about the story of Lara Durin and Sero, Queen of Redan. All right. Welcome back. We have uh, covered a series lost in a anti-magic desert. And uh, she gets baited by a, a desert monster with some goo-looking water. Water-looking goo. And uh, saved by a unicorn, which we just learned about unicorns. We start covering uh, two important people. Seros, who has covered up this elder bloodline to create the Super baby that is Siri, and then um, what's the name of the other person there? Falka. Falka, and and we're about to get into Falka, right? Yeah, Falka and Sarah. Okay, so let's do it. So Lara Doran, we've heard her name before. She was the great Elven warrior wielding sword and elder blood, and she falls in love with a human. They have a baby, and. This baby has the elder blood from Lara Durin, but it's polluted with the human blood. And mm-hmm. that's where we're at. So, Lara Durin brings well, brings her baby to Sero. And she tells Sero that because, like, they're already, like, the elves are angry with Lara Durin. Like, she just has a lot of enemies. She knows she's going to die. So, she threatens to use the Elder Blood to bring about an incredible plague on the human kingdom unless Sero agrees to take care of her child. So Sero agrees. She adopts Lara Durin's baby. And at the same time, she adopts another child. And in the following year, a sickness sweeps through and kills a lot of the children in Redania. And it is believed that among those children, Lara Doran's child died, ending the elder blood line. But 
as we now know by Cirilla's existence, that it was the other child that died. The other adopted child did not survive. And Lara Duran's did. In The Witcher, it seems pretty popular to get somebody else to raise your kid. <laughs> now, the name, so the name given to Sarah's child who survives is Rhiannon, right? Now, if you know Cirilla's full name, her name is Cirilla Fionan Ellen Rhiannon, right? So she carries the name of her great-great-grandmother. Um, but once again, we know that, uh, like, yeah, Rhiannon was not actually the one that survived. Because uh, it's not actually her great-great-grandmother. Right, it was Lara Duran's child, right. Well, so Lara also... child, or is that her actual name? Lara Duran, so Lara Duran was, I guess this would have been her, Cyril's great-great-great-grandmother, but they thought it was uh, uh, Sarah, but it's not, okay? So, yeah, right. that so the kid is, doesn't is, have this... a name? Uh, in my research, it didn't come up because she doesn't survive to her second year, right? That baby dies. Yeah, but it didn't actually. It didn't. No, but the other one did, right? They just <laughs> got, there was a mix up there. Okay, yeah. so this brings up to us to Falca and a few debated points within Witcher, I guess, Witcher lore and um, why Falca is appearing to Cirilla along with Pavetta and Calanthe. So and Lara Duran has appeared to uh, Cirilla several times, right? We have seen her in visions and whatnot. Okay. Falca had a child before she died. So Falca, so Rhiannon, when she, so Rhiannon is the one child that survives and is actually Lara Duran's child, not Saros. So Rhiannon survives, and Rhiannon has has a child, and Falca uh, gives her child to Rhiannon because of the same age. And then only one of those children survive as well. So we have a repeat of the incident with Cyril happening again with Rhiannon and Falca, right? So she is quite a miracle baby series. She is. <laughs> well, and so at this point, right, like, it is... Po- now, within the world of The Witcher, people begin to su- suspect that it's possible that Falca was uh, series, uh, in, in series bloodline. But as we know by evidence of the elder blood in her, Falca is not in her bloodline. But it is possible that the, the Netflix series may have changed the lore to make Falca part of Ciri's bloodline, and that's why Falca is appearing to her now. Because Calanthe, who is her blood relative, appears to her. Laura Duran, who's her blood relative, appears to her. Pavetta, her mother, appears to her. And so it's like, has Netflix changed the lore so that Falca is also an ancestor of Ciri? And that's why she's appearing in these visions. Well, if uh, we keep watching, we might find out. Yeah. So that could be something that comes up. So then Cirilla encounters a sand crab. Aaron mentioned this. What's this point on your list? Uh, Number. Let me take a look. Oh, number nine. Siri goes witcher mode. Siri goes (laughs) witcher mode. Okay. Um, So sand crabs... Uh, according to Witcher lore, are not very dangerous except in groups. However, it's important to remember that while Ciri was trained to fight as a Witcher, she never is given the Trial of the Grasses, where she gets the super speed and the super strength of the Witchers, right? She doesn't have those abilities. And she's also teeny-weeny, uh, sleep-deprived, 
food deprived, water deprived, magic deprived. She's also absolutely tiny. She fusrodotted. So although she does use magic on the sand crab, which once again I'm yeah. just yeah. frustrated yeah. with Netflix for. Be like, if you make a magic system, you have to follow it. Don't make up rules just for a good scene and then never follow them, right? Make a good scene some other way if you're not going to follow the rules you make up. Yeah. We we could write it for you. We're pretty, like, Eli could do it. He writes some good one-shots. But, yeah, so I was really frustrated to see her use magic on the sand crab. It's like, you just told us she can't do magic out here. All right, so Aaron does mention the unicorn gets injured. She heals it. Um, and so to heal it, she builds a fire and uses fire magic. Falka talks her into yeah, it. Falker, yeah, Falka definitely t- talks her into it. Sticks her hand in it, pulls out some some extra fire, and then she's a cleric now, so she heals the... That's actually point number 10, so she becomes a cleric and she heals the, the unicorn. So in building the fire, there's now a fire source. She uses it, and then, like he said, she steps into it, and instead of just doing a little, she's like, full fire magic, let's do this. <laughs> and then as we have talked about, fire magic... You don't control fire magic. Fire magic tries to control you. That's where uh, point 11 came in. Siri got fired up. <laughs> yeah. So so then eventually she begins to see what the fire magic wants to do. And she's like, no, 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 we're not doing this. You're not going to kill and destroy everything. It's like, oh, everybody I love, all of them die. Oh, well, I actually don't want this now. She's like, no, 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 we're not doing this. And the fire magic says, come on, we could burn everything. All of their blood, let's do this. <laughs> Siri essentially uses, well, and I guess I don't know if this will be true for the Netflix series, but within the books, she essentially uses the um, elder blood to burn out her ability to use regular magic. And so all that she's left is elder blood. Okay, so she can't use regular magic anymore? Or just, it's always going to be Elder Blood level magic? Well, the Elder Blood does very specific things, whereas the other magic is more versatile and useful. All right, so let's talk about Yaskier and his journey into Broccoland. So he tries to oh, yeah. go into this is, uh, Broccoland. This is point number 12. Uh, yeah. Bard cries his way into a fortress. Anyways, continue. Oh, oh, and uh, so the way Siri gets out of the desert is a couple of mercenaries find her, and they drag her out. So, Okay. Anyway, all right, so the Dryads, their culture is very simple. Um, and in the books, there's an incident that happens where Geralt uh, finds Siri near Brokolon and uh, goes to rescue her, and they spend the night uh, among the Dryads, and he tells her a story, and all the Dryads, like, come in to listen because while the dryads are not human they're not elf they're their own thing all of them were once and so in the alterations to their mind in moving from human or elf to dryad they lose the creativity and imagination of a human but they still have a craving for like stories and music all these pieces uh, of these cultures they once enjoyed so they know they don't have the ability to create them but they still very much enjoy them. And so there is definitely a thing where dryads hear music or stories. They just absolutely love it. And they have no way to get it on their own. Eh. So when Yaskir sings at the edge of their forest, they're like, oh, we could have some music. That's nice. 
So he gets in. Okay, okay. So in, in The Witcher, he, he sees a really heartfelt In so, The Witcher, yes. a bard class goes really far with dryads. Yeah, yeah. The dryads love a bard. Yeah, okay. Well, it depends on the bard, because uh, I don't know if they'd like that, the team up that Yaskir's enemies. The ones on the boat? Yeah, the ones on the boat. I don't know if they'd like them, because they're like braggadocious and fake. The singing quartet. All right, so that wraps up episode seven. Thanks for listening. Uh, it's going to wrap up this episode, and then uh, we're going to dive into episode eight.